0: Three, two, one Welcome to another Stoned Apes podcast And we are back again It is the three motherfuckers And hello audience, how have you been? Happy St. Paddy's Day Happy, Happy St. Patrick's, Saint Patrick's day. day Yeah, that's a good St. Paddy's Day today, ain't it? Yep Yeah. Speaking of which, I've been sober all St. Paddy's Day, which is bullshit Congratulations. We're, gonna, we're gonna fucking fix that real quick
1: This Jane Walker is really good though
0: Yeah, so we're celebrating St. Paddy's by drinking some uh, limited edition Jane Walker For those of you that do not know, the Jane Walker was a limited release by the Johnny Walker family Uh, The female brewers of the company decided to put it out and do a release on it It's a 10 year, which is just slightly (laughs) under the black label So it's not quite as developed as the black label But it's still a really solid offering and I think it's super cool that it comes from the women of the family, and it's something neat. So, felt like a good St. Patty's Day drink. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, for I,
0: sure. I was going to go with the Ardbeg, mm. but that Islay sounded a little peaty right now, and I was like, I didn't know if I wanted all that peat. So I don't, I don't know. know what that means. It's really earthy. You will because I'll grab it here in a minute. It's really earthy. Once I'm done with this joint, we'll probably like slam into the Aardvog. It's a ten year too. It's yeah, really good. It's good. Yeah, it's, you know, Islay Scotch, uh, because, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, I I don't know all the information. If Danny was here, Danny is like a brewmaster, so Danny could tell you everything you want Mm -hmm. to know about every type of liquor made. Damn it, Danny. But from what I understand, um, Islay is an island in Scotland. And what they do is, is they store the barrels on the seaside in these caves. Oh, yeah. I remember you And about it allows them to take on the taste of the ocean. Hmm. So it has a saltier, peatier, mossier. It's, it's a more earthy type taste. And there's right. nothing that tastes quite like an Islay scotch. Mm-hmm. If you've had one, you will know it's an Islay. I can pick up an Islay all day long from anywhere. It's a very unique taste. But... Um, I've actually found like those uh, that Glenlivet and the Dewars, those Caribbeans, where they're brewing them in the rum barrels, Mm -hmm. where they're finishing them in the rum cask. So those taste a lot like an Islay scotch, and actually I like those better Mm -hmm. because it's the same similar kind of tang that an Islay would have, but it um, it doesn't have all of the tartness with it. So it's a little bit more like mass appealing, and so I like those a little bit better, and they're a little cheaper. So.
1: So that's the sophisticated stuff. Doesn't Islay mean island? I have
0: no idea, brother.
1: Because that'd be pretty funny if it was an island named Island. (laughs) island. You know, all those ancients were so creative, weren't they? I know. They were like
0: land split by water. Done. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) What are we going to call this? Yeah,
0: we're all over here coming up with these fancy ass <laughs> names for shit. They're like big rock that looks like nose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we over it. Greenland. Greenland. Done. And yeah. we just devolved real fast. <laughs>
0: Stoned apes, baby. No, that's awesome. Fucking hit some mushrooms and come back in this motherfucker. It, it,
1: it goes all over the place here. <laughs> All right, so here,
0: here's an interesting thing, because uh, actually this is something I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about. This is like one of those like uh, in-the-gym conversations that I figured I'd save for the podcast. Okay. 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 So here's what I realized. Weed is a performance-enhancing
2: drug. All right? So follow me on this.
0: Follow me. I'm, I'm
2: right. going to say the dosage needs to be... On point.
1: Wouldn't that be like anything? Though? Oh, fair. Well, <laughs> I mean, we can we can
2: we can red tape this with disclaimers if we want. But fuck <laughs> it. Just saying, look, because like, there's some Weed is it a
0: performance enhancing drug.
2: Be but done som- with it. But this is the Stone dates. We don't need fucking <laughs> bullshit. Fine but sometimes print. it's
0: not.
1: Look, it can be. That's look, you honest. can smoke too much and it goes the other direction. <laughs> it's like mushrooms. You can microdose, <laughs> dose, or you're deuce. jumping on <laughs> <All laughs> mushrooms. deuce.
0: You know, whatever you happens first, you it's fine.
1: You will. You can you can microdose or you can shit your pants in the woods. <laughs> Whatever.
0: Or do both. Whatever your flavor is, it's fine. <laughs> so, anyway, so here's the conclusion I came. Because I was really thinking about the other night when I trained sober. And then I had another event, again, where I trained sober. Mm-hmm. And both sober training events, as of late, did not go very well. Mm-hmm. Timing is off. Distance is off. All this other stuff was going on. And so um, I really started thinking about this. And I thought, you know, I guess I never put these two and two together. I started smoking cannabis because I wanted to change neural pathways. That's what the goal was, right? Mm -hmm. So if I could combine this with my therapy, then I could reinforce neural pathway changes and I could create better mental health, right? Well, I realized it's doing the same thing with fighting. It's increasing my neural pathways, so it's increasing my ability to learn. So when I'm fighting and I've been getting better lately, a lot better, and I haven't really been training that a lot, and it's been kind of curious, like, why am I getting so much better and I'm not putting in a lot of work right now? You know, I'm doing a lot of mind uh, training, but not a lot of physical training. And uh, I realize that the only common denominator that I have with this is that the weed is linked. But I've also got this theory, and we could talk about this, is that the synapses that the, that the brain is building um, during that seems to be connected to that state of mind. Like I talked about before, my brain had to learn how to function while high. Yeah. And then I learned how to be able to do more normal mm-hmm. activities. Well, it seems to be the opposite is also capable of happening. I'm able to capable of learning things that I can do while high huh. that I don't do as well when I'm sober.
1: Hmm. Interesting. This is
0: all theoretical. I have no idea if I'm right. I'm just I'm just trying to look at my own life and what I'm experiencing and say, "Hey, this seems interesting. We should look into this." Well, okay,
2: well, let me so ask what are your you thoughts? Why, let me ask you, what is your how like percentage wise? How often are you stoned versus sober? Just in your regular day, like is it a fifty-fifty? Is it a sixty-twenty? Like stoned versus regular? My yeah, regular life. Are you rocking life. all day long, blazing, or are you like what percentage of the day are you stoned versus sober? I I okay. smoke from morning until I go to bed. So you're so
0: like you're, five minutes after I get so up, I'm smoking in all a joint.
2: Day. Yeah,
0: I, five minutes after I wake up, I'm smoking a joint. The last thing I do before I go to bed at night is usually smoke a joint, so it's a pretty consistent all day long every day.
2: This is who I am.
1: But well, that's then, new, word. but that's what I'm going to say as of the last, like, like he, three or four. He, months.
2: I feel like you kind of lose your control to make an assumption when that becomes your daily. So you have to learn new things, or you you're all like, there's no choice but to because you're in those situations or something like that, even though you're stoned. I agree. Well, you know.
1: I, know, I know studies have been done with, like, mushrooms. But That's I feel like my adaption from Muay Thai,
0: like, you even said that. You you already, you already said that one day after the first time you didn't like me on the Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. Like, I've already noticed. Like, I was when I was in there sparring the other night, we were doing that flow sparring, mm-hmm.
2: and I was pretty good. I was high. I felt good. Dude, I was, like, untouchable. Like, I felt like well, I was in the matrix. Well, here's, like, like, why, you know, they call it high, you know, is it's elevating. It's lifting you up. It's making you're lighter in your emotions. Mm-hmm. You're lighter in, like and grounded at the same time. So it's you're running on another like wavelength all day, so like yeah. being in that wavelength is what's making you
0: better. Well, what's weird what I've noticed with the fighting is and, and I can only do this I've only rolled a few times stoned. So the rolling it seems to be a little different because the rolling takes a certain level of anaerobic Capacity from me which I'm already don't have Because I'm not a jujitsu guy so you, We talked about that like mm-hmm. you can be In Muay Thai shape and not be in jujitsu Shape and then Absolutely. you can be in jujitsu Shape and then die at Muay Thai Yeah, yeah. like it and is very um, specific To what that's you're across doing. across any sport Yeah so. so I am not in jujitsu shape right now In fact I did like three minutes last night and I was like Fuck this I'm out <laughs> Like that was. I'm tired and then yeah. I went and Sparred six or seven rounds still feeling Like shit but I could spar the rounds with no problem could not yeah. build my body to to work with uh, with jujitsu. So, um, but I notice like when I'm doing muay thai high, everything is in slow motion. Right? It's like I see everything coming, and I can just move out of the way, and it's all in slow motion. Even when I'm fighting with guys that are significantly faster than me, like Ethan. You know, and, and Sam seen that last night. It's like, you know, just so easy just to move out of the way and to come back and to be in and out of range. And, you know, and it's a completely different experience where when I'm sober, that seems to be off a little bit. So it might just be a timing and distance well, hey, thing or again, a reaction thing. Well, I'll say thing. it's going
2: to be like, again, like you're on that wavelength. Your mind and body are, I, I like to say, more in with each other mm-hmm. and what's with what's going on. Like I feel like... Being stoned, at you or just high, however you want to say it. Like, I can feel where I'm hurting more, or I can, oh. I know where there maybe are ailments or what I'm, where the pressure is, or because I can say I can see the same thing in jujitsu where it's time almost slows down. Um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing myself do things before my I'm realizing I'm doing them. Right. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like I'm really good watching myself do this stuff while I'm doing it
1: I wonder if there's any actual neurological studies on it
0: oh I don't know that would be interesting it makes me really think about Nick Diaz so that's an interesting uh, topic too because Mm -hmm. I was on the other side of that fence during Mm -hmm. his career and I was not a Nick Diaz fan. Yeah. And one of the things that I really thought was ridiculous is how weed could be considered a performance-enhancing drug, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm forced to relook at that situation from a different, completely different lens mm-hmm. and go, huh, I wonder if the reason why he was so upset is because he actually doesn't fight as well when he's not high. Well, so you're compromising his ability to perform, well, I guess yeah. and you're actually taking away from his ability to, to perform in that environment. Not add to it.
1: I wish we had Danny here to punch buttons and look stuff up because I know studies have been done on, like I said, mushrooms and microdosing. That's why everybody does it out on the West Coast. Well, the, the, problem,
0: the problem with studies in this area that I've looked into is because it's still federally illegal... All of the studies that have to be done are privately funded. And so the privately funded studies are going to be special interest studies. And that's going to, one, it's going to skew the information that you're Mm -hmm. getting from the studies, whether (laughs) it's pro or against, right? Right, So you can't trust either side. And two, because all of the federal funding that has been done on it has been done to criminalize it. So to make it bad, the war on drugs, most of the information is in sources that you would have to go to that would be against your what you're looking for. That's how I discovered, for example, the neurological changes. That was a terrible study where they were talking about how all these addictive people were going into these, uh, using marijuana and other substances, and it was causing all these terrible issues. I mean, if you were just reading that study from the face value of what they were wanting you to get, you would never touch marijuana in your life. Like mm-hmm. You would think I was going to die the second I touched it. You you know, so it took my ability to look at that and then go, okay, well, this is the information. Oh, it changes neural pathways. Oh, look, it actually does do these things. Now, okay, I can see how that could be a problem, but how mm-hmm. can this be used for good?
1: I thought it was non-addictive, non-habit forming.
0: Well, it's not, it's supposed to be habit forming. The problem mm-hmm. is, is it reinforces neurological pathways. So if you get somebody that's addicted, you know, I'm sad. I'm depressed, I'm young, I don't have a whole lot of life wisdom and good decision making, nobody taught me how to critically think, um, maybe I come from a bad background. You, you add the story up and then you give somebody weed, right? And then they start smoking. Why are they smoking? Well, they're going to probably do it for a couple of reasons. One could be peer pressure. Two, it's probably because they're trying to escape the shitty fucking life that they've got. And they have this terrible internal voice. They have all this negative outlooks. They have all these bad mental health models and everything else going on. And then you give them something that is going to do one thing and one thing only. Reinforce and create neural pathways
1: so it's the intention
0: it's the intention it's the intention right so when you go into it with an addictive state you're going to get out from it exactly what you're wanting to get out from it it's going to make you more depressed it's going to reinforce that state of mind it's going right. to make you addictive and you're going to go into that addictive trait that comes down to the individual and that's what you talk about
2: with responsibility right self-responsibility but i like to look i i've explained it before like i've quit weed i have come back to it multiple mm-hmm. times throughout my life because i'm sort like you know what i'm not i don't have the ability to or i'm not going to or things like that it's kind of like a tv series where you're in it and you're watching it and you're going and going and going and then you miss an episode and then you're like dang i really want i miss it i miss it and then you miss another one Mm
1: -hmm. and then by
2: the third episode you're like don't even i forgot what that show was called what was the show was i watching we were
1: you and i were talking about this before you got here so down in florida there's some stuff going on a lot of doctors have come out um they're fighting the fight federally because of things they're treating uh, with medical marijuana. And I've I've looked into all of it, including the psilocybin stuff and some other stuff just for uh, t- studies they've been doing with veterans to treat PTSD and TBI and stuff like that. And I don't have any like, first-hand experience with that, but the the research I've heard from doctors who advocate for it and what they're using – now, granted, they're for it, like you said, mm-hmm. but – I'm like well wait a minute there aren't any based on the data I've seen I'm like why not that over SSRIs well, or I think what's some getting what I things.
0: think what's getting overlooked and this is the part that pisses me off personally and this is where I don't understand why or how people can be so mass marketed to Because if you look at prescription drugs, there are plenty of side effects. There are plenty of downsides. There are people that die using prescription drugs. There are people that get addicted to using prescription drugs. Absolutely. There are epidemics out there. There are so many issues with prescription drugs. But the difference is, if I look at you and I mention the word cannabis, and I say one or two things negative about cannabis You will shut that conversation down and say, see, 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 I told you drugs was bad and weed is bad and you can't do that. Mm -hmm. But if I had started talking to you about Prozac and I started telling you one or two of the bad things about Prozac, you'd start going, but it's helped so many millions of people. How could you worry about that? That's not, you know, look, they're prescribing it to all these millions of people, so it must be safe. Well, that's that's not a good narrative and that's not a good argument.
1: Well, and and
0: it's, I don't understand how so many people are allowing themselves to have that conversation. Instead of having the conversation and go, of course, there are things about mushrooms and weed and other drugs that could be very bad. Sure. And they could be okay. used wrongly. But there's just as many positives that could come from that when used correctly.
1: Well, it's it's anything in moderation, right? Right. right. Self-responsibility. And, and it's right. kind of like we said earlier, even if you look at the way, I mean, big pharma, Right. If something can't be monetized, if you can grow your own plant that exists in nature that can treat something, <clears throat> uh, and it's not making people lifelong patients, mm-hmm. essentially uh, that can be monetized, it that is truly where I think the and, and the fact that the masses haven't been able to figure that out, I think is the saddest. Well, me and, me and you even talked about that in the
0: kitchen, yep. right? One of the biggest problems with weed as far as monetization is concerned is it doesn't have to work because pres- prescription drugs don't work either. They just mask symptoms. Right. So if all weed does, if it's not curing your cancer, if it's just masking the symptoms of cancer, it's doing as much as most pharmaceutical drugs are capable of doing. They're mm-hmm. not capable of fixing the problem. So you have a one-for-one comparison. And one you can grow on the own the other one you got to go get a prescription for
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and it's ridiculous well that's why I think there's a lot of uh <clears throat> if you look into it, people use you know herbal therapies or uh like naturopaths and stuff like that like there's fascinating stuff that's done
0: well here i'll tell you the most interesting naturopath story that I have, so I'll give the audience a little bit of background on this. I know you guys know it, but i've had severe acid reflux since I was in the military back in 2003. Uh, and actually before 2003, I think I was originally diagnosed in like 01. And um, they diagnosed me with severe acid reflux. They put me on Prilosec. So I started taking Prilosec when I was in my early 20s in the military. And then it went on for years. And I'll be honest, I, I kind of got off the medicine and then I kind of forgot about it. And then I wasn't exercising, I wasn't active, I wasn't doing anything, and so it was just fine. Mm-hmm. Well, then I started training in MMA back in 06 And then it started becoming an issue again because I was more active and I was moving around. My metabolism was up more and it was creating more stomach acid and uh, it just kind of snowballed. Well, that goes down the road all the way to the point where I have acid reflux surgery. So I had a surgery called a fund duplication Mm -hmm. where they cut your stomach off from your esophagus. They take out the valve then they cut a piece of your stomach off, they wrap it around your esophagus, and it makes a new I restriction. Think Calvin had one. Yeah, it's, it's terrible, right? And uh, so now I no longer have uh, an organic valve there that operates on its own. I have a mechanical sleeve, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so then they would give me the barium test after that. So they did an upper GI on me because they wanted to see how much stomach acid I was producing still. And I tested in the 97 percentile, which was one of the worst cases that they've ever seen, right? And so I go through the VA in St. Louis. So their um, St. Louis University is who their urology clinic is through, and uh, the GI clinic, sorry, and um, the guy, the doctor Syak, that runs the, he's the board physician for SLU. He told me that it was the worst case he's ever personally seen. And he said, because of that, I'm going to have to be on some type of acid reducer for the rest of my life. Because the, the physical issue was, was fixed, but the physiological issue was still present. So fast forward four or five years from that, I'm taking now 40 milligrams of all a day. I'm on another, um, I was on, um, they just took it off the market, uh, Renetidine as an emergency. So I'm taking 40 milligrams of Meprazole a day. And then I got an emergency 10 milligram ranitidine that I could take anytime I have a flare up. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is how I'm living my life. And then I get with Michelle and Michelle says, why are you on all this medicine? And she's looking at all this stuff and I'm on medicine for blood pressure and acid reflux and all this stuff. And, And then she goes, you don't don't need to be on that. And I tell her, I explained to her what I just explained to you, and I told her how wrong she was, how there's no way I can come off this. You don't understand. I'm the worst that there is, right? So she puts me on a prebiotic, and I get on a prebiotic, and then I go on a probiotic. I've never taken another acid reflux medicine again, and I no longer have acid reflux. Because it it wasn't my body was producing too much stomach acid. The problem was is my gut bio was off. And my gut bio was off, so I was producing too much stomach acid. When I reset my gut bio, I reset that acid production, and I no longer produced terrible, terrible stomach acid, and I no longer have acid reflux. Mm -hmm. It's fixable. And you know what? That didn't involve a medication. It didn't involve going to the doctor. It didn't involve prescriptions. It just involved going down, buying something over the counter, and making sure that I pay attention to monitoring my gut biology. That was I, it. I had a friend whose wife. Uh... You you explained to me how the Saint Louis University board physician doesn't arrive to that conclusion well, before they perform thousands of dollars worth of fucking surgery. I've heard. Well, I don't that know. Decision
2: doesn't give them thousands of dollars worth yes, of surgery. Exactly.
1: There, it's it, it's the payoffs from big pharma. I had a. Uh, he wasn't a friend. I had a guy I knew who I believe it was his wife who was a was a vet or his sister. I can't remember exactly. But he said, how do they treat animals with stuff? And I thought about it and I said, I really don't know. He goes, if you look at like an agricultural veterinarian, said more often than not, most most of the ways they treat things are with deficiencies. It's vitamin therapy or... Mm-hmm. You don't see these long-term, like an animal doesn't usually get on long-term medication. It's not a thing. Unless it's an antibiotic to knock something out, it's, it's treating a deficiency. And it even goes to, uh, I've been real interested in like vibration theory lately. I've just been looking into it because <clears throat> you guys, I've seen how often I blow my ankle out, right? Mm-hmm. I blew it out real bad in Iraq coming off a striker ramp. I mean, like instant, almost throw up swelled up black halfway up my well over there they had to get me back out on mission pretty quick i mean i was down for about a week and a half where i couldn't go out which i hated because there's a lot of shit going on but every day twice a day they were going in and this is why it interests me because i had a personal thing that sort of reinforced it but it was magnets they had this these little, it was kind of like, it had to be some kind of electromagnet that they were strapping around the injured part of my ankle. And originally when I'd put it on, I wouldn't feel, feel anything, but within a very short amount of time, it would start throbbing and I'd be this aching pain. Like at the end of the therapy, it was like, I'm holding on to something, just listening to music because it was very painful, but it healed that injury mm-hmm. incredibly fast. And it was just electromagnets throbbing into the thing and of all the times because i've re-injured it and it's because there's some nerve damage and stuff there uh but that was the only time anybody treated it that way Mm -hmm. and it was just this thing that they strapped in my leg so i'm like there has to be something to that and then you hear about these doctors in the past who said hey they had found cures for cancer with treating it with frequency or or whatever and it's like how much stuff is repressed in the name of greed and special interest you know it's i have no idea i i think that the problem is and what one of the things
0: that i really hold i don't believe that modern medicine I, i believe the disconnect between modern medicine and nutrition is the problem we don't consider nutrition part of medicine and then when we do we want to subscribe it to something like the food pyramid, and then we can get into that conversation of the new food pyramid, which is even more ridiculous, right? right? (laughs) And I could even go back and build the argument for how the original food pyramid was nothing more than a marketing scheme. And we don't connect nutrition to health. And so these people are going into the doctor with symptoms and their real health issues, but their health issues are being caused from improper nutrition. And we're telling them they need to Diet more and exercise more. That is not, diet does not mean nutrition. Mm -hmm. Exercise is not going to make you healthy, right? And so we, the one thing that really does matter, which is nutrition, we just leave completely off the table and we don't even consider it. And that goes all the way down and I can reinforce that. I've been into the VA now. Between 2009 and 2016, I was, in, I was hospitalized four times with some mystery illness. I was getting a inflammation around my lungs that they thought was like a pleurisy, but I wasn't having any type of fluid buildup in my lungs. And they couldn't figure out uh, what was causing the inflammation. And so they did all kinds of tests. And I've had the battery of everything, right? And so it always went undiagnosed. And then my body would resolve it. And then as the years go on, you know, you live life and then you have bouts of it over and over that didn't hospitalize me. And I start to look at commonalities that were occurring around the times that I would have these events. And exercise was one, intense bouts of exercise. In fact, all of these sicknesses would always occur right about the time where I was in peak physical performance. And then I would like have this major fall down. And then the other thing was, is um, my diet would really clean up. And so I would stop drinking a lot of other drinks and I would switch to unsweet tea. And I didn't think it. But, you know, I'm somebody who drinks a lot of fluids. So when I say I switched unsweet tea, I may be drinking close to a gallon of unsweet tea a day. Okay, so um, I don't know this for certain. But I have not had a bout since I've come to this conclusion. I realized that the tannins in tea, because of the research I've done with cannabis, understanding a little bit more about terpenes, right? Also linked me to understand a little bit more about tannins. And the tannins in tea can be toxic at too high of a level. And you can get tannin toxicity. And it can cause respiratory issues, and it can cause shortness of breath, and it can cause all those symptoms that I was having. And so I realized that my tea intake at all of these times was also a common feature. So I eliminated tea from my diet. I don't drink unsweet tea anymore because I feel like I have some types of sensitivity or an allergy to tannins. And since then, that was about two years ago, I've never had another episode. But, you know, what's funny is here I am being hospitalized with symptoms that match almost identical to toxicity from tannins okay and they're feeding me tea unsweet iced tea over and over and over every time i asked for it because they never put that connection together that wasn't something that was even in the realm of thought and that's a problem that's yeah. a problem <clears throat> i and i love modern science i love modern medicine you know but i'm somebody who believes and and i want to clarify that for the audience because i do use modern <clears throat> medicine But my relationship with modern medicine has changed. I will use naturopathic methods to heal myself in the beginning. Mm-hmm. If it's something that I can't take care of, I will go to the doctor. I will get a diagnosis. Then if the diagnosis is something I feel I can treat naturally once I understand what's happening, right? If it's something I can reset through a vitamin deficiency or something like that, then I will try to take care of that on my own. I'm not going to take medicine for that, right? right? I can control my blood pressure and all that other stuff. I know how to do that. So I'll take care of that stuff on my own. You can keep mm-hmm. your pills. But modern medicine comes in. if, man, It's something that I can't fix on my own. Well, of course, I'll take what I can do because modern medicine is capable of doing some amazing things. But the problem is, is everything up to that point, you can do better
1: yourself. Right. I was pretty sure at one point I I self-cured with a heavy dose of pickled garlic, basically, because I know the effects garlic has. Mm -hmm. It wasn't great, but (laughs) I was pretty sure I brought myself back from something that I felt like I might die from. Oh, yeah. just because i had read a lot of stuff and you know correlation doesn't equal causation however i know i did that and it seemed like it kicked it pretty quick well Uh, i'll tell
0: you what we use a strugula and golden seal and we use that combination together kind of like an antibiotic package and any time that we go down and it's we we know that hey it's coming it's time to get sick we will go on a cycle of that we'll run it for Five seven days or whatever, like you would an antibiotic. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, that has been some of the best uh, Oil immune of builder I've ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Oil of oregano has been really
2: good. Yeah, There's just a couple of drops. Yeah, oh in some yeah, water I, or... I
0: use garlic every day. Garlic mm-hmm. is a big supplement for me, especially with my prostate. It's a big one for men and prostate health.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, you know, making sure that you have proper nutrition and that you're supplementing certain things to you know, but getting regular blood work too. And and I think that's the problem. And and one thing I do feel I'm fortunate with. I started a lot of this health process when I started TRT. So being on TRT, I get blood work every three months. And the blood work panel isn't just your testosterone. They're doing all of these other markers, right? So when I'm taking supplements, when I say, hey, you know, I'm running this astrugula or I'm running ashwagandha right now. And then I can go back and I can look at my blood work three months later. And then I can go, was there any changes? Did anything work? Did I see what I wanted to see? And so I've been able to see a lot of health progress and and learn a lot about that by getting regular blood work. Because now I know that, hey, look, if my blood pressure was up here, what was my fasting schedule like? What did that look like? Could, is there any correlation there? Okay, well, I'm going to strict my fasting up for the next three months, and if my blood pressure goes back down and my cholesterol looks good, I'm going to know that that was the result, right? Mm-hmm. And then I can monitor that, and I can check those things. And so that's what I've done a lot of, and I know when my iron's low, things like that. But, you know, hormone regulation and um, mineral regulation is, is optimization is so important. And when people don't have that, they're, they're working with a broken system, like you know, your body's already functioning like shit. You've got a you got a car mm-hmm. that's running on fumes, and then you're trying to make it do shit.
1: Like, why don't you fix that first, and then worry about exercise later? You well, know. It, <clears throat> I think it doesn't matter what it is when something can be monetized, and then you say it all the time. What's the incentive? Mm-hmm. Or maybe right. there's the improper incentive. <sighs> Power. I could point to plenty of instances where hey this thing was developed you know like we talk about green energy and all these things and it i'll tell you why we don't have good renewable energy that's cheap affordable and widely available there's no money in it right now right <laughs> there's like it's the same thing it's the same thing with pharma it's the same thing with food it uh, it's about money oh yeah and well and power money slash power when I
0: you guess. have a government the size of ours and a country the size of ours, and I really think that's one thing that uh, most people who haven't had the chance to get outside of America don't realize how big America is. America is <coughs> huge, in, huge. It's yeah. enormous, and we're trillions of dollars in our economy, right? You have a certain amount of funding that's going to be required to keep that system afloat, and. The people that are in charge are going to be responsible for making sure that certain pots are filled when they need to be, so that it can be distributed and reused. Well, who are the donors? Re- yeah, well, yeah. Regardless, <laughs> I'm, well, I mean, and all of this is regardless of politics, yeah. regardless of politics, special interests. I'm just talking like if this, if we were just designing a car, right? Just the design of the government at a base level. Look, it needs funding. The way it's designed, it needs funding. Mm -hmm. All of these states want all of these grants. All these people want this federal funding. All of these people want these federal programs. Everybody wants their federal student loans. Look, everybody wants federal funding. That comes in the form of taxes, Mm -hmm. right? right? And you're going to have to have certain pots of taxes that are going to produce a certain amount of revenues in order to keep that system going. So until something comes along that can replace that revenue stream, you're not going to get it. Right. you're not it's that simple how could you what do you think the government's just gonna voluntarily bankrupt itself just so you can save some money at the pump <laughs> Well, <laughs> I,
1: so speaking to some of the like the for energy i can't remember who i was listening to it just the video popped up randomly i'll listen to youtube while i'm cooking dinner sometimes and videos will just go <clears throat> and they were talking about some of the patents they've seen and people seeing firsthand some of these renewable energy things that happen and what they could do. I sent you something on it I think uh, but if you think about it to that point, all these people who create these things well, they want to get paid for it, but as soon as it gets out there, then there's patent you know suppression or you know whatever happens to make that go away and The guy's philosophy in the video that I was listening to is he was like, look, if we could have these people just come out, like back it up with a blockchain or something so the information was widely out there, it'd be like when the internet was created. Let other industries be created by this thing coming out that create new jobs and things rather than... But you don't have that at the the highest levels. They don't want to give that up and then work on creating new new industries. The industry's there. Right. Well,
0: see, the problem that you got is there's nothing wrong with the mutual benefit of once. No. Right? Uh -uh. And so when Adam Smith wrote The Wealth of Nations, the mutual benefit (laughs) of once had a social protection in it because there was a social responsibility. They believe... Adam Smith believed that there was a shared responsibility and that the government had a social responsibility to the people because there were certain social goods that, that your pursuit of your own greed wouldn't pay for right right? Mm -hmm. and it was that simple and i think there's nothing wrong with the mutual benefit of once when you have a balanced social responsibility (laughs) accompanied by it but unfortunately we've lost our balance to that social responsibility and so what we have is this untamed pursuit of want, and it's no longer mutually beneficial it's only beneficial to the parties that are generating the wealth, right. and everyone else has now become subservient to that because it's it, it has become completely monopolistic, right? And that's what people don't understand. You know, capitalism supports monopoly. The, you know, Lester thoreau wrote a book. Um, Capitalism. What was it? Well, I forgot the name of the book. I'll have to look that up. Maybe I'll put that in the description. Um, But he wrote a book that talked about how capitalism and democracy was not compatible. And he said because they had two completely different philosophies, capitalism was a survival of the fittest, and it only creates monopoly. And then democracy preaches one person, one vote; everyone is equal. Right. Mm-hmm. So because the two are married together, that's where the beauty of the United States government came in, in our economic system. But because the two are married together, it allows this really heavy survival of the fittest economy to be balanced by this democratic state, which distributes the wealth among the people. OK, that is the design that makes it work. When you lose the distribution of the wealth to the people,
2: uh-huh.
0: now we have a problem, and now we have nothing but a monopoly. And, and that's why we're starting to see – that's why I say we, we see more corporatism anymore than we do anything else. And I know those labels aren't 100% accurate you know, by definition. But I think that if you just put it as a function of what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. We have large <laughs> corporations who are funding special interests to a government entity that is – that is governing and making laws to, to represent their special interest groups and funders, it, that is not a government of the people, for the people, by the people. And we have moved away from that system. And so I believe that's why our current version of capitalism isn't working. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that maybe I need to change how I talk on that a little bit because I come off so anti-capitalism, because I'm not. I do believe that capitalism is the best economy in the world for producing wealth hands down where I come off so aggressively is I also think it's the most dangerous economy in the world for producing totalitarianism. Okay. And so I'm scared to death of this thing when it is not controlled or regulated properly. And it is not. And so, yes, I do talk about it very badly because I do think it's the devil in its current form.
1: Well, I think ultimately, <clears throat> whatever label you throw on whatever economic system system aside, the principle of power always will consolidate. right It's just how it works, man. human nature,
0: you know this is the problem with all of this, and we talked about this in that one one podcast. you know, it's how do you change biology? Right, you want to survive. I want to survive at some level. That survival instinct is going to produce greed, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Like, well, it's like I said about the myth of Camelot or the legend of Camelot because we don't know it might have been real, right? Uh, it was great while Arthur was alive. What happened when he was gone, you know, to like for you can't assume altruism will always exist right mm-hmm. or at least universally exist across whatever if you have you know a truly altruistic group of leaders or or whatever yeah man you could have that you know shining city on the hill for a while however mm-hmm. one generation one regime change one whatever well, that's
0: the problem that people have and there's there's the problem i have with all this encampment that we're having in politics right now because we've seen this when obama came in when they did a lot of the changes with the uh, home insecurity and some of the Patriot Act laws started to come into effect and he did a lot of things with monitoring and presidential control that were kind of overstepping but nobody said anything at the time because well they were on his team and the problem is You shouldn't be saying, well, that guy's on my team. You need to ask yourself, do I want the person in that seat, if he was my worst enemy, have the ability to do that? Right. And if the answer is no, then it doesn't matter if he's the greatest president ever. He shouldn't have the ability to do that. Well. And nobody is, we've gotten into this encampment thing now where it's like, well, my team can do whatever they want. And Mm -hmm. this other person goes, well, my team can do whatever they want. It's like, no, 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 no. Wait a second. One of these days, it's not going to be your team anymore.
1: And we need to think
0: about what the rest of us
1: need. Well, I could even go back to, and I may be misspeaking, but I'm fairly certain this is correct. When, I believe it was Bush Sr., they passed law or U.S. code or something. They codified where executive orders would carry the weight of law. Functionally, they voted to have us have a king again. You know what I mean? If you mean they changed the law to give themselves more power, right? Oh, because wow. they because they were the haves. Well, it's like you talked about. That Sounds when,
0: like a conspiracy,
1: right? Well, when you <laughs> talked about Obama, when they passed <laughs> when they passed the, a lot of people. I remember when I I read. I thought it was I thought it was a lie. The National Defense Authorization Act passed in during his presidency. I don't remember which year. I know I was definitely in the military, and I believe in Hawaii. So. It was probably like 2014, 2015, and there was a provision in there. It was part of the Patriot Act stuff, sort of you're talking about, for indefinite detention of American – it was literally like minority report stuff, man. Like indefinite detention for potential future crime. And some of the things they had in there as indicators were like having more than seven days of food in your house. I was like –
0: well, see, see, the problem <laughs> FEMA is...
2: FEMA says you should. Right, and see, the problem <laughs> yeah. is, and,
0: and that's where we go back to encampment. See, the guy that's writing that law is only thinking about a terrorist. If you really think about what he wrote that law for, it makes sense. Right. He thinks, what would what would be the identifying markers of somebody that we would call a terrorist, Dude right? It's the road to hell. And and it would, boom, boom. <laughs> right. But the problem is you can't do that because you got to stop. How many other people are going to fit into this model, right? And that's what they did at that time. Now, if you're in church or if you're all these civic organizations or whatever, now all of a sudden you fit the definition of a potential terrorist, right? And you can't. You can't govern that way. That's not sound governing. Well, it's right? setting and the condi-
1: vo- setting the condition to create political enemies. Like some of the stuff that was used, like all the stuff coming out about January sixth, right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, was there some bad shit that happened the day? Yes. There are also a lot of federal agents provocateur that were there. There's also a lot of grandmas who have been political prisoners now. But you know what the cool thing
0: is? And and this is this I think is something that I realized and and maybe a lot of people in the audience have already realized, I don't know, but it was an epiphany to me just a few years ago is understanding that our our politics really isn't any different than it always has been. We just now have this unique awareness because of the internet. We're seeing all this shit. 100 So think about if that event would have happened 40, 50 years ago... We would only got one narrative that would have been painted by the mass media. It would have been put out into trusted news sources. There would have been no access to additional angles, no access to additional information. But now in today's environment, we have access to all of that. Well, So if you just look and listen and you don't try to form an immediate opinion, you can pretty clearly see what's going on. The problem is, is, everybody wants to jump to that initial opinion without taking in all the facts or without considering all the sides, and then they end up on this encamped road, well, where they're all
1: confirmation bias. And there's a reason why you see <clears throat> legislation they want to pass for control of the internet, or you're seeing ma- you'll see massive battles on controlling social media platforms. Um, Pro and and against because of the corporatism thing and the integration with government that you talked about, you know, uh, because the the home advocate or the you know guerrilla journalist or whatever, yeah, they can get the word out now. One video can go viral and make everybody go, wait a minute. Right. Hold on, mm-hmm. but they want to repress that because it's well, it's destroying and w- the narrative. And what they a lot don't and what
0: instances. a lot of the people don't realize is is everything that's this all comes down to business, right? One of the reasons why I love business and why business and economics and politics all kind of go together because they're all using the same strategy, right? So political strategy, if you're trying to build a narrative, is nothing don't different than that, uh, than a, a the on fire marketing strategy, right? And so, when you look at this thing, what you got to realize is when that publicist puts out that piece, right, there are multiple companies set up already coming out with counterpieces or misinformation pieces that they're going to send out to try to spin that conversation that just went out. So, if that first article is the truth or if it's a complete lie, it's going to get hit from so many different sides with so many different narratives that you're going to have a hard time discovering what the truth is. But see, those other narratives that are coming out, that is not organic. Those are deliberate marketing attacks. That is a strategy. Companies do this all the time when they put out products. If you came out with a new product tomorrow and I'm your competitive company... What am I going to do? I'm going to launch a campaign, a misinformation campaign, to deter people away from your product or your discovery. That's business 101. Pepsi and Coke do this to each other all the time. So how do you not think that this isn't happening with our media? It's the same strategy.
1: So people don't know what to think. Well, it's leaks, and it's, and that's why we talk about governments, but any more... Specifically, multinational corporations, I think, and the control there—like that's where the real power is. It really is.
0: Oh, it's such a global economy and a global political system at this point. You know, Dude, everybody you look at is the fooling themselves.
1: BlackRock owns almost everything. Like with who they're tied to, like it's just like that's yeah. that's who's running shit. Well, the World Bank. I mean, if you just think about that in in, in and of
0: itself, the World Bank as the controlling monetary interest of the world. Mm-hmm. That's it, not the United States.
1: Dude, if you look all at right?
0: There's already a decentralization of power right there that's right. on a global level. You don't need a global government to have control. You need to control the money. Yeah. Well,
1: look at the IMF, man. You yeah. Know? It's crazy. I don't know. It's all craziness. I think that's it, why I smoke weed. I think it's yeah. funny how we can always start lighthearted. <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden... We're like, it's hey, like, let's keep it light today. And deep dive. <laughs> all right, <Go>. so seriously.
0: <laughs> so let's talk... Let's spin it back to the original conversation then. Fuck politics. Um, Mushrooms.
1: Mm.
0: Let's talk psilocybin. I think everybody in politics should take mushrooms. Oh, my God. And they wouldn't want to I <laughs> 100% <laughs> agree. Right? So that's my next jo- journey, I think. Because, you know, I've been really having a lot of success with the weed changing neurological pathways. And the research that I've read, and I've got into a little bit of like psilocybin therapy. And so like, um, you know, uh, psychedelic therapy or lead therapy, things like that. And uh, that stuff is really interesting to me because that's what they're doing. They're taking the same mental model techniques and pathways and leading you down and guided therapies Mm. and whatnot. And and so, yeah, I think that the idea of setting intentions – And going into that mind state deliberately to
1: change, um, is really interesting. I would love to have a researcher like Paul Stammet or somebody on the podcast. We're not near big enough for him, but that guy, hearing the research and the stuff he's done and, uh, I've listened to probably every TEDx and TED talk that guy's done, um, Wow, man. It like just hearing that the your neural connections can go like from sixty or something up to like a thousand just microdosing. Mm-hmm. Like what it does, like it's fast well, like we said, the stoned apes theory. You know, that's how the, the theory started. Like it did these things. So I played around with it a little
0: bit, but I haven't got to the hero's journey yet. So I played around with it a little bit and So far, I've had two times to where I would have enough that I would say I took enough to actually impact me mentally, right? Where I could feel a physical impact of it. Um, But it was very mild. I didn't go on any type of psychedelic trip or anything like that, right? right. The way I would describe it would be like um, almost like a giddy light buzz. You weren't seeing sounds. Yeah, I was was uplifted and kind of like, you know, buzzy, maybe a little giddy. That would be about it. But um, the one thing that happened on both of those occasions that was mm. interesting to me oh, was I had a spontaneous onset of setting of intentions. And it could be that it was subconsciously there because I knew that's what I was looking for, right? Mm-hmm. It could be that maybe it just occurred. I don't know. I don't want to read too much into that. But um, uh, both times i seen significant life philosophical changes that occurred as a result, and one was a major paradigm shift in my life that I believe truly changed who I am as a person, and then the second one was pretty significant as well. And it was about breaking realizations and things. and the, And it was funny the second time I did it, I had no intentions of setting anything. Mm-hmm. I was actually really in so this kind of like lighthearted. I, I took <laughs> enough that I kind of thought I was going to go on a journey, and so I really kind of left my mind open to whatever it takes you, like, wherever yeah. I go, right? Yep. So I didn't really have a place. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue. Like all these intentions come to my mind and it was like, Hey, you know, you need to focus on this uh, while we're to, here. Yeah. So. Set these intentions, buddy. This is important. And so I did, I took, I, I stopped and I took about a minute and you know, I manifested my intentions and I cleared my brain and I was like, boom, this is where I'm at. And then I go into the experience and again, never made it far enough to go on a, on a journey or anything like that. But uh, those, those took,
1: yeah.
0: you know, I definitely feel that when I came out of that, that physically took like, I've noticed that I, a lot of my problems are like anxiety and, mm-hmm. and mental health related. Right. So they're very environmentally produced. Like I will go into an environment and it will change my state of mind. And what I've noticed is, is that after that, that second event, the onset of the event in those environments is significantly less. Mm hmm it's like somebody cut it in half and that is really kind of like money yeah now i'm like "Uh uh-oh do i want to do this again like you (laughs) know
1: if you look at cross-culturally so not even psilocybin but psilocybin ayahuasca Mm dimethyltryptyline, uh any of those things where they were used uh ceremonially setting intention everything else. I heard uh I listened to Sean Ryan's podcast. He's former Navy SEAL. He has some interesting people on there. Um kind of in what we did, but just other people too. Uh and he talked about about a year ago he did a deliberate it was four veterans with PTSD. I think he did it with a SEAL buddy and it was ayahuasca, like multiple doctors there. Like it was a very supervised, deliberate thing. And He hasn't had a drink in like a year. His wife was on a podcast with him recently, and it changed. He he even shouts out the Institute and like what they did. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. because like, well, like DMT. Like everybody produces it when they sleep, right? And then you hear like the burning bush, allegedly a byproduct of its burning is it produces DMT. Right. You you know, and... (sighs) Forget however people want to look at that, but the, the bottom line is, is I have yet to hear people who was setting intention like that didn't come out of it better humans and how they interacted mm-hmm. with other humans. You, you know, for, forget how other people like you, like addictive people using stuff just to be mm-hmm. addicted. That's a different thing, but that's not setting intention.
0: Yeah. I think but, that the mm-hmm. recreational aspect of it is what's challenging. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've even found that with cannabis. That is the one thing that I've even struggled with is I have to remind myself from time to time that this activity that I'm doing that I enjoy is medicine. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And, I'm medicating my body. Yeah. But at the same time I feel guilty because I'm enjoying it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh man,
2: am I am I doing something wrong? Like I shouldn't be getting enjoyment
0: out of this. But at the same time it's still medicine. I mean, that
2: can go down into a whole thing of society too, where it says you're not allowed to have things that you enjoy unless you're like enjoyment and good don't go hand in hand. Well, it's, dude, it's, well, like
1: it's like you like see like I said, do it in moderation and responsibility. Well, you yeah, seen me cool. last
2: night.
0: Like I was wrecked, mm-hmm. right? I came home. I had nothing left. I felt sick. I felt like, oh, man, I'm coming down with the flu. Like, boom. I did my usual. I loaded up on vitamins, and I built my immune system up, and I threw the golden seal, everything, and I was like, throw the kitchen sink at it. Boom. But what was part of that kitchen sink? A fuck ton of weed. He said, "Okay." he's
1: leaving. he goes, all right, Sam. I'm crushed. I'm going to go home and get high. We were so so done. And, like, we broke those kids. Dude, I walked through the door, and
0: I dropped some edibles, and then I started rolling. And she's like, oh, it's one of those nights. And I was like,
1: yep. I was just glad I came out of the headache. Like, my TBI was bad last night. Yeah, that's
0: why I didn't want you sparring last
1: night. I mean, I did a little bit, and it got better kind of toward the end of the night. Mm -hmm. But, um... Yeah. I just I protected myself more. I wouldn't yeah, have let those about young kids it. hit me
0: in the head, man. It'll be all, all right.
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For real. I don't think I kicked anybody in the head last night. I don't know. No, no. I was nicer to you. You damn
0: near kicked me in the head. Next time you get a warning when you throw a fucking kick like that. <laughs> Dude. He's throwing we're demonstrating some shit, right? And so he's showing what kick were you showing? What it was some Taekwondo kick. Fuck. Axe kick? No, it wasn't axe uh, uh, was kick. Uh, uh, probably a
1: crescent to an axe kick.
0: Yeah, something like that. But he's demonstrating, right? And so I'm standing in front of him, minding my own business. I'm in mm-hmm. my stance, but I don't know what he's doing, you know. And he's talking, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you faked the low kick." And he, And I was like, "Hey, motherfucker!" <laughs> yeah, I, like, I'm
2: always dead. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
0: like, there's a foot like flying
1: Ooh. past my face. <laughs> in my youth, in my youth I, could li- I could literally snap and hold a side kick. And touch someone's nose like hey. full speed, and just hold it there. Hey, just
0: so we're clear, I've been kicked by you. There's no
1: part of me that wants to be kicked in the head by you. <laughs> yeah, no thanks, dude. I got none. Drew, I got Drew. None. I, I got Drew last week, pretty good. Yeah, the poor kid. I pulled it. He. I tell you what, though, last night, shout out to him because his last round, we were both just oh, kind of coaching both of them and making him and Ethan just bang it hey. out, and. Ethan caught him with a body shot that he walked into. He walked liver shot hard. He he walked into it to the point he went Philly shell, and it was because he was covering, not because he meant to do it. Don't hit me again. Well, and he he could have broken, and he was starting to cripple and fold a little. And we're like, no, stay in it. And at the end of it, I'm talk. He ended up getting this slip, and it could have been a knockout hook.
0: Coach, listen to me. There's a fighter in that kid. Oh yeah, that he, kid came alive when he got hurt.
1: Yeah, he took he took a minute and then he mm. and then they both were going back. Dude, I've like it- never
0: seen him spar so good. He had the best round of sparring I think he's ever had in his whole. I life. I wish we were to record it. And it happened right after almost being dropped by a liver shot. Yep. And he went two more minutes, and I mean, him and Ethan, it was amazing. Yep. And his movement, his positioning, it's getting out of I me.
1: Mean, he still's got a lot of stuff to work on, but man, alive, it was awesome oh i was so happy for him. He, and before that like he was broke off even after him and i did like two rounds yeah. like he was over at the trash can about to throw up well i mean the warm-up i gave him they they didn't even finish it it was a conditioning
0: warm-up. nobody could have finished that warm-up i've done it you're not human
2: you did we've it. established You'd
0: that have done it i'm a more elevated human <laughs> <laughs>
2: the point is these was, are
0: 16 year old kids it was like you know it was Drew's definitely like 23 23, About like 19. It, yeah. it was definitely a go. hey,
1: you need you guys need to build your leg up, legs up, and really work on these kicks, kind of thing. But yeah, they're, they're sp- their movement and sparring at that last round was well, and you turned it up on both of them for the round you did before that, too. Yeah, you were giving it to him a little bit, and uh, you did good though. Like I said, props, you figured out that glide. Yeah, I was bit. trying was to work so, that in. It was so close. I was like, it's there. Oh, wow. Like,
0: Yeah, so he showed me. Were you there when he showed me that uh, front kick glide, that taekwondo? Mm. So in taekwondo, they I'll let him explain it. They could do it better than
1: me. In Olympic style, they do this. I primarily did traditional. Oh, no,
2: I was there for that. I,
1: where you're almost oh, gliding like, toward them. Right. You drive off, the, but it's not a j- jump. You're just, but you cover so much more distance. Right. And They'll tell you because I piece those kids up with it. And then they come in and they get hands. So it's like, what are we doing? (laughs) And I told Anthony because I watched the way his kick is, and I'm like, dude.
0: So I'm sparring with Drew. And it's my first round, and for the audience that is out there, I'm five foot eight. Drew is six two, but I think his limbs are probably a good six six. <laughs> yeah, his arms ridiculous. are ridiculous, like, yep. he has got the longest arms. Yep. He's his limbs are way longer than his height would allow, right? <coughs> and um, stupid reason. So, when and my limbs are relatively short for my height, so I'm probably my limbs are more like five six, so I, I'm already at a big disadvantage in a uh, so the reach issue is really out there, and you know he's throwing these jabs from like eleven and a half feet. You know, it's like Jesus Christ. Um, and so I'm trying to come in with this front kick, and I'm getting pretty close. I'm I'm within an inch or so. I'm touching, but I'm not landing. You know, and uh and so he's he. Pulls me over after the round, and he's like, You gotta do the glide. You got- I don't wanna fucking do the glide. He's like, oh, You're almost there. Just do it. And so here I am in the middle of a sparring round with this kid, trying to figure out how to glide on my back foot and touch him with a front kick, but not getting killed by these arms, you know? Ooh. And uh, but yeah, we figured it out. It was well, I got close. I, I elevated a little still, but I-, I was all right. It was the
1: right. The mechanic was there, right? It was just a little too much. It's like, hard was as shit. Like, yes.
0: Dude, the power that you have to have in your rear leg to do that, like props. Dude, I don't think people understand how strong Taekwondo people are, karate people with their legs. Like, you know, I think mixed martial arts and Muay Thai gets a lot of credit. But I I've, I recently, as part of a workout routine, started doing horse stance. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah, they were like, yeah, hold this for three, five, ten minutes no
1: try getting it try holding that and dude somebody hit you I, in the legs look laugh the at me if you want I. laugh <laughs> at
0: <laughs> me if you want sword. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, i made i made a good horse stance for about a solid minute okay okay one minute good not a second more like we're all long...
2: over or do you get yourself out of it
0: <clears throat> no i got out of it it was all right i mean i didn't well, die then you to can do, it. do
2: it longer front roll
0: <laughs> no no I quit no, we, we, no no so now I'm working up to it like I'm gonna get to that three five minutes right but I don't think people understand and I mean I have huge legs oh yeah I mean my legs are massive in comparison to my body and strength is not an issue and it, what people don't realize how strong these people that do yoga and karate and you know that technique that he was talking about like I just don't have the physical strength to move that way I got to develop a whole new set of muscles to move my body in this direction like
1: that. you do you just gotta and build a, you got to build it's a neural pathway. it yeah it really is. It's a like that glide where the kick can come from like way over here mm-hmm. and you're like, how did that happen? Some of it's footwork, but some of it's just you're only really moving your foot about your your base foot is moving about a foot along the ground, right, but Instead of, you already do it loading your kinetic chain. Instead of being anchored, you have to let that move that forward. Well, it
0: made sense to me when you told me that I'm doing it already with my jab. Right. When I was walking back, walking back, and then I do that slide-in jab off that second yep. step. Yeah. And I didn't realize that. I was like, once you said that, I was like, oh, shit. That's okay. why I was watching your feet. No, I just got to put the foot there. Mm-hmm. You know, now it gives me two techniques from the same movement, which is bonus. So I really like that. Now I can switch it up a little bit you got to eat them with a really good one time. Mm -hmm. I was like, win, yes. No, I lit him up a little bit last night. (laughs) That was a little bit of a parenting moment. I know.
1: (laughs) He was making him stay in the pocket. He rose to it. He did good. That boy has
0: been in a mood. And and in our house, because of the fighting, this is a conflict-free zone. Mm -hmm. We are not allowed to have conflict here, right? So if you're going to take your shots at dad, you're going to do it at the gym. Right. And so I told him, I said, we're going to spar Thursday. I said, well, then we're going to talk. All right. So he get out there. He had intentions. Like he was going to put some to dad. And dad made sure. I, you know, I didn't put it to him too bad. But I made sure he wasn't going to touch dad. Well, it's he a good did thing not. Sam softened <laughs> him up with the warm up.
1: Because <laughs> him and Drew were like, fuck, is this thing over? Yeah. Finally, I was counting it out for him. Like, come on, guys.
0: Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, it was good for him it was good for him and i think it was a good space so and then we ended up talking and look it's all better so it's amazing what
2: the mats can do for people the power of the mats yeah
0: yeah dude it's some of the best place to work stuff out you mm. know it's a, it's that activity you get that frustration it's out it's
2: a safe controlled environment right and there's That's expectation good. and rules that will always be followed yep regardless and it just feels good that that can happen yeah. yeah,
0: oh, I'm grateful for me. You have no
2: idea how grateful I am for that, Jim. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Tenth Planet is a special place, brother.
2: Yeah, it's definitely
1: magic. It's good to see in all the new people out there too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's growing so much for sure. Really good. Yeah, I really do think we should do that Muay Thai smoker though. <laughs> Look, yeah. I, like, we bullshitted about it, but now let's get serious because I I don't bullshit. We we set dates. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> we set dates and we manifest and we do shit. So, you can't talk about stuff around me and not, not expect to have to maybe apply it at some point.
2: Hey. I'm sure there'll be people down for it.
0: What are you thinking? You think we should stick with this, the rule set? I like that. I think that two minutes of fighting, one minute smoke off, one minute rest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I so think crazy. I could roll
0: through. I think I could hit three rounds like that. You think so? Yeah. Yeah, I think I could. The first round, no problem. Second round, probably no problem. Third I tried pretty hot. faded. I, I train pretty high, yeah. so I'm. I think I'm okay. Know, there. Man.
2: Now that third round, though, yeah, I feel like I'm not sure where I'm coming out of that first round. You gotta get like in. Yeah. Second round is probably Ooh, solid. We, do we third do? No. Do we do?
0: Oh, here's an idea. What if the first round was just the smoke off, and then you had three rounds of fighting after that? Because you have to go into it high. No sober
2: fight at all. I think you have to. You should do that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just the whole place just smoked. That, that's crazy. Yeah, we got the garage door.
0: We just rolled the garage door up. Just hammer yeah, that I shit. Mean... Shit, we could set the fights up. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to set it up outside. That wouldn't be any fun. If it's a beautiful day. Maybe. It'd be better mm-hmm. if that cloud of smoke is rolling out mm-hmm. the garage door, though. I just meant we're
1: never going to see the Battle of the, <laughs> the battle. You know, that was
0: the worst idea ever. You <laughs> can murder that poor kid. Oh, my God. So... Here's something that's pretty cool. I got some uh, potential potential guests for the podcast coming up. Sweet. That's pretty exciting. So I have a... Uh, there was this guy that I knew back in the day. He was an employee of mine. And uh, he walked into my office one day off the street. And he comes through the door. And I look up. And there's this guy. He's about 5'10". He's about 160 pounds. And he's got a... Uh, um higher waisted slacks on with suspenders a yellow pinstripe shirt he's got slicked greased barbershop hair and a mustache yeah, that curls we talked about him. right yeah. and i look up and i think okay you have my attention sir <laughs> Like,
1: you know, I want to know who you are. Dude looks like Andre 5000.
0: And so he's like, uh, so he introduces himself, and then he asks for a job, and immediately I'm like, of course, I have to hire this guy, right? I don't care what your qualifications are, you're hired at this point. I just want to get to know you, you 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 know?
1: You knew he could 10 bar in your speakeasy?
0: and so, and he didn't disappoint. Look, he's one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life. One of the most inspirational people I've ever met in my life, and, um... He is, uh, he really was influential in changing my behaviors and my actions. And he's so much younger than me. Like, this is a very young kid. He's probably 20 years younger than me, but he is so inspirational. And I really am excited. He lives in Montana now. So, we're going to have to probably figure out how to do this cell phone, wireless, Zoom thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, we can get him in on the podcast. But uh, yeah, I think I'm really interested because he's a, uh, He's lived in Key West. He's lived in Alaska. He's owned a sailboat and like went around the world. He's done some shit. That's crazy. Dude, yeah. yeah. And he's <laughs> pretty cool. And he's, I, I don't even know if he's 30. Right. Wow. And now he owns a house out in Montana and has another house out in the West Plains of Missouri. Like this guy is fascinating. And uh, he's excited about coming on the podcast. Okay. So once we figure out our uh, technological side of this, you know, as we are all tech savvy individuals. Um, we need the captain.
1: And uh, yeah. the captain needs to come off a of vacation. Yeah, no yeah, What is he doing? He's
0: working. I don't he's know. He's pretending. work. He's, he's pretending he's bullshit. He sent me a yeah, picture right?
1: with him with beads around his neck in Florida or something. Yeah, he's oh, yeah. probably <laughs> he's <laughs> not
0: working. His version
1: of work is
0: going somewhere, work, going to a meeting, and then three days of vacation that follow with some type of fishing endeavor or boating. That is Danny's idea of work. So Danny, come on, Danny. Danny, take us on a Damn trip. Damn it, Danny, <laughs>
1: <laughs> take us on a trip.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, no, it's good. To, it's good to be him. Good for him. <clears throat> mm. Anyway, point. what was I saying?
2: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're shit talking, Danny. <laughs> yeah. We can go back to doing that. Oh, oh but, my God. We,
0: but we it. He's out. not here to yeah. defend himself yeah, yeah. Uh, no so yeah i'm really excited about getting him on the podcast yeah that'd be awesome um th- so that's a potential um another potential i don't think i can talk about on air yet but that's kind of working its way through that should be a big announcements coming through i know we're gonna have a couple uh
1: young soldiers on i think soon. yeah
0: oh yeah we're supposed to be doing that we got those guys coming next, in right next mm-hmm. month yeah, yeah they're cool. coming
1: in in april right
0: yep yeah so that's gonna be pretty cool Well, I'll tell you what, I'm trying to find, I haven't told this story yet. I don't really talk about my army stories. Sam's are so much cooler. So (laughs) I don't even try. It's like, fuck me, whatever. So it's like, I was in the army once and I went to formation and yeah, that was it. Um, But so I have a a cool army story that's worth sharing. Okay. And uh, so here I am, I'm straight out of basic training. And uh, I go back home and uh, do my little stint after basic, and then uh, I come back, and uh, I get my go to my duty station, which ends up being Fort Riley, right? And I show up at Fort Riley in December of 99, and I go to in-processing, and I do the whole in-processing thing there. And for those that never been to Fort Riley, Kansas in the winter, <laughs> it's fucking cold. A lot of wind. Okay? And it's windy, and it sucks. And so... I'm not 100% happy to be there. And then after about a week of, of being there, I get picked up by my company, First Sergeant. And a few of the guys that I went to basic training were with me. So I actually had, a, I believe that there was two guys there that I went to basic with. And then one guy that we had met at in uh, processing that ended up going up with us. And so there's, you know, uh, there's, there's four of us total that went up. And uh, so we get this drive. We're in this Humvee and we take the humvee up to the company and so we go to the company for the first time and uh we walk into the sna and, and it's just dead quiet and this first sergeant that picked us up was this uh older guy he was like mid 50s uh shorter he was about my height about five eight he wasn't a real tall guy uh super built though like jacked i mean bigger than me considerably right and um but he was an older guy, and, you know, he just had a presence to him. I think he looked Samoan-ish, looked kind of Japanese when I seen him. I thought he was like an Asian a yeah. persuasion, right? And uh, so we walk in, and we, we go back through. We walk down the hallway, and uh, we go into the, the, the little headquarters area there, and they got the table. And we sit down at the table. And then the guy starts to talk. And as soon as he starts to talk, he goes, Welcome to Charlie Company. My name is First Sergeant Yolk. <laughs> and I thought, this dude's fucking with me. Nobody <laughs> talks this way, right? Like, okay, this, uh, this yeah. is not happening. And then he starts looking around the room, and he'd take pauses, and he'd look at his hand like he was looking at his watch, but he wasn't wearing a watch. <laughs> you know? And he'd like, staring at his watch, and he'd look at us, he'd start talking, and he, everything that he would say, he'd be like, all right sappers and then you know he just go and so finally we get done with this little little introduction which I have no idea what the fuck happened at by the way because I I the entire time I'm just mesmerized by like what the fuck am I watching right now? What's like, happening This is truly a shocking event uh-huh. like you think you're on TV like this is candid or something like there's no way that this could really be happening And so this guy gets us up out of the chair and then we walk over and we go into the hallway. And on the hallway, there's this giant um, painting of this three-fingered Arnold Schwarzenegger, 2 tooth pictured thing. And, And he goes, you see
3: this picture right here? This is the rock. He goes, so listen. He goes, when you out there in the field and you cold and you tired and you fucking don't want to go home. He goes, you ask yourself the rock care fuck no rock don't care you know what that means i don't care because when you're bleeding and you've been shot and you're dying and your fucking pussy hurts and you crying for your mama you ask yourself does the rock care fuck no rock don't care now get your
0: shit and come on and i was like what the fuck is this like, what? No, I did not sign up for this. Like, I wanted to go back to basic in that moment. I was like, somebody, please send me back to my drill sergeant. This is someone, someone chose wrong. Right. <laughs> and so th- the saga doesn't end here. I have this guy for like six months, and he drops us off in the field. And long story short, he's the most interesting character I've ever met in my life. But, man, did I learn some valuable lessons from that guy. One of the things that he taught me, and I applied to my parenting and my work, is he had this philosophy, and he'd tell us, he goes, you're going to go down to the bar, and you're going to do dumb shit, and you're going to go get drunk, and you're going to do stupid shit.
2: That's going to happen. I'm only going to listen to you telling me that in his voice. Fair.
0: Fair. (laughs) I will do my best. He's
2: like, all right, listen up,
3: sapper. You going to go downtown, do some stupid shit get drunk, fucking chasing pussy and bullshit. He goes, look. He goes, you get too drunk to drive, some dumb shit happen. you call me. you take care of it. You call me, it's good. You pay later, but yo, will take care of you. He goes, you go downtown, you fuck up, you get in trouble. MPs call me. You fucked.
2: <laughs> I'll kill you.
0: <laughs> and I was like, Huh. <laughs> okay.
2: What's your number? Yeah, good <laughs> yeah. point.
0: Yeah. But, you know, the lesson in that was like, look, if you get to me before people get, find out, we can fix this. We can take care of this. My application for parenting. Look, you get in trouble at home, we can take care of that. You go out at school and you fuck up. You go to the police and you fuck up. I can't fix that. Then when you get to me, you're fucked. Okay, but you come to me before that, I'm going to take care of this. Yeah, are you going to have some type of punishment or something? I'm sure, but look, we're going to take care of this. Everything will be okay, and life is going to go on. And that was one of the best like learning moments for me as a young man of, so, of understanding what taking care of you meant. And that is the one thing that he always did. He always took care you know, he would come by and make sure that everything was OK, no matter what he did or how how ridiculous the story was. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I could never understand and, uh Sarge explained it to me a little bit. I can never understand how he got away with the blatant disrespect. So, like, in the Army, er- and everybody should know, you know, if you see an officer and you're an enlisted member, you're supposed to salute an officer. So, in the mornings, when uh, the company commander comes in the building, if you're in the SNA, when the company commander comes in the building, you know, somebody was supposed to get up and go, company, attention, huh? And everybody would go to attention and salute. Well, in our company, when First Sergeant Yoke was there, some of the c- company commander would come in. Somebody jump up, company!
3: Tell you, shut the fuck up! Nobody salute that fucking pussy. This is
0: my fucking house. And that company commander would put his head down and walk quietly to his office and wouldn't say shit. Yeah, that was the old army. Yeah, the the colonel would salute him. He'd tell him to fuck off. He did what he did. He, this guy pulled his Jeep into the SNA and changed the oil. Sergeant Major be out there yelling at this motherfucker and he'd be like, fuck you. This is my fucking company.
3: <laughs> I do what I want.
0: <laughs> old, old Army for and sure. I don't know. And so I don't know how much of this is true. So you got to realize this is the 90s when we didn't have the internet, right? So I, I couldn't research anything and all I got was third party information. So everybody that was there had told uh, the theory was that he was ex-Delta and that he could no longer pass the mental evaluation. And so they moved him stateside and then they put him as a first sergeant. And he used to always say things like he's been every rank under first sergeant twice, right? And he didn't care if he had to do it again. Like it just didn't matter. And so he had got to some status to where he was able to just kind of do whatever the fuck he wanted to do. And uh, when we got deployed to Kuwait at the end of 2000, um, he couldn't go. And so here we are, we're standing in formation, this new first sergeant come in, and it is, uh, the first sergeant was First Sergeant Zentz. First Sergeant and in, in my book was an amazing first sergeant. And he was the definition, when you think of, like, badass, like, Marine Corps style First Sergeant This was First Sergeant Zenz Like he was a badass And he was a great First Sergeant And it was a good rotation And I have nothing bad To say about him But what makes that Important is Is when he's Standing in formation You know First Sergeant Yoke's Talking to us And he goes Listen up Sappis. Apparently I can't go To
3: Kuwait with you Because they uh, Think I'm gonna go Start some type of Fucking war Or something <laughs> I would <laughs> <laughs> so I gotta stay here And they're gonna send you over there With this fucking pussy That's fine He no first sergeant yo
0: But he it'll do <laughs> <laughs> And I was like And you know what that first sergeant did He put his fucking head down Stared at the ground Didn't say shit You know as an impressionable E4 Or oh, I was well, At that time I think I was an E2 My brain could not understand what the fuck was happening. This entire experience with this man was larger than life. Every day, day in, day out, hours of formation of this guy staring at his hand, talking to thin air, his bitch mother and fucking mayonnaise sandwiches. Like crazy as shit, man. And so I'm desperately trying to find this guy right now. I've reached out, like, seventy year battalion boards. I'm doing everything I can. Because I know he left Charlie Company <laughs> in 2000 and went to Fort Leonard Wood. And he became a basic training first sergeant when he was there. And we ended up getting one or two of his recruits, and they came back equally fucked up.
2: What year was that?
0: Uh, this was back in, a, that would have been in 2000. 2000, okay. So I don't know where he went from there. Well, I mean, you think about it. He's probably like sixties now, or seventies. I bet you he was in his fifties then. Maybe the army back then, man. It he looked like he was fifty-five or sixty. He every, could have been
1: thirty-one. Everybody <laughs> did back then. No, that that was. I had a
0: lot of first sergeants like that.
2: that <sighs> Thirty-four
1: going on seventy-six. That that was that's a while ago. That was a thing for sure.
2: My dad was in Fort Leonard Wood in like two thousand seventeen, maybe two thousand sixteen.
0: Thank you for that. I love you so much.
2: He's retired, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not retired. (laughs) Only one of us at this age is retired. Yeah. And he deserves it. Way more. I have not been blown up. Ever. (laughs) Ever. Not once.
2: (laughs) Nope. You ever been in a bad car wreck? I got a... No. I haven't done that either. (laughs) I got hit in the chest with a uh, Roman candle once. Does that Caught my shirt I, on fire a little bit. I don't think that scales. Look, 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 look. I got kneed all.
0: in the chest once that felt like a car wreck. The closest thing I can
1: compare it it to, to is, and it's not even close. Would be a car wreck, a bad bad car wreck. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. No thanks.
0: Yeah. See. Well, that's work. why I told first sergeant Yoke. That's like that's what I got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my army story. Like, it stops Does there. Does the rock care? Nothing. Nothing good <laughs> happened after that. Yeah. <laughs> Does the you rock care? Fuck you. no. Rock. You know, I'm getting that rock tattooed. Yeah, you told me. I'm but. fuck one hundred percent getting Charlie Rock tattooed on my fucking leg. Fuck it. Cause just cause I want that memory. Yoke, man. He was a really impressionable person in my life, and uh, he took. You know, I took a lot of lessons from that guy. As crazy as it was, underneath all of the theatrics. Was a solid human being. Yeah. Who was a great leader and a great
1: soldier. There, were And that's the truth of it. I can't... I've lost track of the amount of straight-up cartoon characters that I've served with. Like... I never what? served with anyone after that that was anything even close to that. Everybody else was relatively normal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of all all dispositions, shapes, and sizes. Like, some of it, it's like, this is a real human. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Cool. You know,
0: that's something funny. Uh, Michelle and I were talking about that the other day. We were talking about genetics and how some people, and we weren't talking about it in a derogative way because I don't feel bad for them. I think it's actually a unique thing. But it's interesting how things that we consider recessive traits, how so many people can be born sometimes as a total package, like one arm's not as long as the other, or one chest is smaller than the other, or there's torsos disproportionate to the legs. And like, you see that every now and then you'll see somebody who is just truly unique where no feature is quite right, but it's like the whole body is that way. And it's kind of interesting when you think like, yeah, you know,
1: I wonder how those anomalies like that occur. Well, I think it's cool. Just when you see people who, whether it be, genetic or from an injury who I, I watched this guy uh he literally has no legs like i think he's actually amputated at the above upper waist uh mm. little mm. little black dude and he's in there doing MMA i think it was with oh, goat, yeah, the I've goat, the goat shed like guys a, yeah. or something and like he's swinging at him and like but then when they get on the ground, they don't know what to do with them because they can't control his hips and
2: stuff. Like some of the stuff he's hey. doing, you're just like, "What?" i <laughs> drag dragged the back, take body lock.
1: Well, <laughs> right, but it, like his body hey, lock, hey, he's last like, "Last time I that much hey, just, and he's gone." Last time
0: I checked, that sounds like a tenth planet crit tonight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can't leg lock him. Can't leg lock him. <laughs> yeah. I just lost fifty percent of my stuff. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Shit. Uh, wrist lock. Do over. Do <laughs> over. <laughs> Just wrist lock. Well, it's a problem because he's operating on that, so his arms are legs, you know? So well, sure. There leg. goes
0: all your guard options. All your guard options are gone. There's nothing. Oh, shit. You body like the shit out of that, I guess. My luck, he'd be
1: fucking like 50 inches around. You, you pull guard on him and he bumps up and he's in mount. You're like, what? Yeah. what? what just happened you know that would be a real issue you know
0: but that's the same thing it's like you we were talking about that um with drew his arms are disproportionately long for his body Mm -hmm. right but that is a unique quality that works in his favor in the fight right not only do you have somebody that's taller than you but Mm -hmm. even when he's fighting somebody the same height as him he still Mm -hmm. has a significant reach advantage hey dude it's just that thing play to your strengths exactly (laughs) like how awesome is that you know yeah it's just interesting how we all get – some. sometimes we get these, like, unique things, and, you know, it, it just, it's strange how it goes from person to person and how most of us fit into this relative mold. And then every now and then, outside of the mold, come these things, and, and you know, do, and it's
1: so cool. Yeah. Do you have Apple, Apple TV? No, I don't. So there's a TV show that – it's not very often where I watch a TV show where I'm like, that's a really cool, interesting idea. There's this show on there called C. And Jason Momoa is like one of the main lead characters and the the overall premise of the show is it's whatever, hundred years into the future, some pandemic wiped out most of humanity and it's rebuilt itself, but most of the humans who are around are blind from birth. And there's a few children that are born that can see, well, Jason Momoa's been like a war chief for this tribe, but he's blind. So all the fights, all the movement, everything happening in there, everybody's blind. It's the most – but it's incredibly savage, Mm -hmm. like incredibly, incredibly savage. And a lot of it's like sort of grappling-based but with hand weapons and stuff. I don't know. It's just a very interesting premise of what if. I wrestled a blind
0: kid in high school and I lost. But, yeah, that was – that was an interesting thing. It's a good so, show if you ever. Yeah, they make you start where uh, you're touching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I thought that I would uh, win the match by separating. And as I was trying to like slowly circle around him, he was following me because he could feel the changes in the mat and knew exactly where I was at. And then the dude was a gorilla, so like once he got a hold of me, it was <laughs> <death>. <laughs> it's game and over. you know my grappling game is so good anyway. Right, right. Uh, so <laughs> it's definitely my strong suit. I didn't know you wrestled. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: that actually makes yeah. a
0: lot of sense. Dun, dun, it it really dun, oh, sense. shit. Did I just tell him myself? Well, we're not going to talk about that ever again. No, Hand-tabled. How, your
1: gra- <laughs> how, <laughs> how you grapple makes a lot of sense, yeah. kind of. Yeah, yeah, like, uh, I, yeah, well. And the yeah. MMA thing makes sense. Yeah. Dun, dun, Probably dun, you have to wrap dun, it up here, guys. It's for me. Yeah, it's getting close. We finding it? Yeah. All right
0: well thank you guys for joining us for another episode I would like to uh, make sure that if you're uh, listening to us right now if you would like to follow us make sure that you subscribe to the channel and click that notification bell so you know when we drop future episodes we got a lot of big things coming hopefully by the end of the month uh, I believe we're gonna have a newsletter rolled out and I think we're gonna have a patreon page up and a few other things that uh, is going to help start driving some better content and allow us to get out there and to do some things that we've been really wanting to do so So uh, I'm excited about that. Hopefully you guys are as well. I want to give a big thank you to our sponsors. I want to thank you uh, to Anthony Ferguson over at Malevolent Art Tattoo Studio in Barnhart. Uh, He is an excellent artist, and I encourage anyone out there who is uh, looking for something that has a lot of line work or if you're wanting something that's a large, color-saturated piece um, or if you're into, like, illustrated, uh, definitely reach out to Anthony uh, he does so many different styles of tattoos, and he's one of the best artists that uh, that I know. And he's a great guy; He'd give you good personal service. Look in the description; you'll find the link. Go ahead and reach out to him. If you mention the Stoned Apes, you'll get twenty percent off. Of any booked appointment. So uh, we encourage you to do that. I'd like to give another shout out to our other sponsor, and that would be Elliot Groth. Elliot Groth owns Gateway Tattoo Studio. Gateway Tattoo Studio is in Arnold, Missouri. Um, he is an appointment only artist, and he specializes in black and gray and realism. So if you're out there and you're looking for a custom piece by an appointment only artist that does black and gray or realism work, please reach out to Elliot. Uh, In the description, you will see the email link for him. Send him the email. Mention that you're coming from the Stoned Apes, and uh, he's going to go ahead and give you $50 off any half-day booked appointment. Elliot also owns e productions e-groth productions is an audio and video company he is a very creative guy he shoots a lot of the videos that you can see on the 10th planet instagram i'll make sure to have links down there to the uh e-groth production instagram page and the um 10th planet instagram page make sure to give 10th planet a follow please and we will um you guys can go ahead and uh check out some of his work Uh, he's going to be doing some work for us. So you're going to be able to see some of that here shortly. Uh, good guy. And if you reach out to him, he will give you 10% off of any services. As long as you mention the stoned apes. So we really do appreciate our sponsors. We thank you guys very much for what you allow us to be able to do here. We thank you all for listening. And for this episode, stoned apes out.